When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III, and Negro Month is over. Yeah, yeah. We're not black. We're back. We're not black. <laughs> you won, Lewis. <laughs> I'm, I'm cackling at the sky. Thunder is crashing upon us. I'm Lewis Bertal. Lewis marched for this. Um, is it on? Is it on? You're doing yeah. me dirty. Is it on? <laughs> um, my name is Daniel Kaluuya. Thanks for coming to. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty good, Aida. Is it on? Is it on? God, he's so everything he says. He could be. He could be. You know, spewing hatred and bigotry, and I would still be like, I love you, Daniel. Fuck me. <laughs> wow, that was so soothing. Yeah. yeah. And he's a talented actor. <laughs> Which we'll get into today because of our very esteemed guest. Mm. Yes, yes. We are joined by Dominique Fishback from Judas and the Black Messiah. Or rather, I am joined by Dominique Fishback. I was supposed to be on this interview and then I got caught up doing a damn bit, being a comedy heroine. And <laughs> you'll, you'll never know how hard I worked. And Dominique Fishback, I, won't, I didn't get to burden her with my problems. Even though she is fabulous in the movie and is immediately commanding. The minute she appears yes. on screen, you're like, what is this woman doing? It's very good. Yeah, has a way of having a face who's like precious and menacing at the same time. Like, girl, I'm confused. Ooh, precious and menacing. That's fun. So talented. Your face, little girl. Actually, yeah, maybe me too. Yeah, maybe <laughs> me too. <laughs> Always up to no good. Mm-hmm. Speaking of comedy heroine, Lewis, I did see a video going around of like a Kimmel bit. And like your voice is just in it. Mm-hmm. And I was so... It's so exciting seeing people figure out it was you. What's the bit? I asked people on the street to identify Doug Emhoff, and it turns out the world is behind on Kamala Harris's husband. And I see Aida just realized herself. Great. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> you so, would have recognized his face though, not his last name. Yeah, I had I had a picture. Yeah. And, I mean, her daughter is all over the place. I guess her stepdaughter. Yeah. So that's like they see them in family photos. People weren't even recognizing Kamala. In the video. The bit starts out with me (laughs) asking about him, and then it turns into, wait, can you identify her either? And one woman tries to say her name 70 times, and is like, Kamalia? And I'm like, that's right. I was like, Camila Cabello. That's correct. Yep. Yes. Yes. They could all recognize um, Mina Harris, though, because she's everywhere. And probably (laughs) poised for a takeover. All right, we've got our annual Golden Globes episode. Though this year it was a trilogy. We've actually done a few weeks in a row on this. Normally the year kicks off with our Golden Globes episode. Like our very first episode of the show was about the Golden Globes. And this year it's like, like, what, March? It's disgusting. No, usually the Golden Globes are what get me through the utter doldrums of post-holiday stupor. You know, like uh, Three Kings Day is not over until I've seen a drunken... Judy Dench walk up to the mic. 
I will be shocked if the Hollywood Foreign Press Association adds black people next year because how else are we going to be talking about the Golden Globes if there's not a scandal surrounding it? These silly fucking awards have gotten so much attention this year. I think they're going to have to add a very scandalous black person. Like, like, like all the drama is HFPA, time's up. And I'm glad time's up finally got around to the HFPA. I mean, really, <laughs> yeah. really, really going down that bulletin list. It'll be um, 80, 89 white journalists and Stacey Dash just ready to vote. Right. They have to add a black journalist next year who creates a scandal themselves. So then the question is... You added a black journalist, but at what cost? Ira, pop up. Guess who, bitch? <laughs> what if it's you? I, I'm going to say, are you volunteering? <laughs> and what country are you moving to? Because I'm very excited about that. I was actually joking with our friend Chris Schleicher about how um, I would love to become the sole black member of the HFPA. I think that that would be... <laughs> I think it would be a good time. Girl. The only living black uh, HFPM <laughs> member tells all. Sorry, Cicely Tyson. <laughs> I get like a fake residence in um, Port-au-Prince. I don't know. Yeah, Mykonos' <laughs> own Ira <laughs> Madison. Yeah. Girl, go get a seat at that table. I'll support you. <laughs> Thank you. I just mm-hmm. want to be wined and dined by black celebrities then, you know? Because they'll, they'll all come to me, yeah. the one black HFPA member. Oprah will be like, come to the vineyard. But then what will <laughs> you do con- to convince the 89 other people to vote along with your... So you're bribed, like that you, you got bought off. What will you do to convince like, you know, the creepy Austrian to your right to do what you want? Oh, if I become a member of the HFPA, then it's going to turn into like a Tin Little Indian situation. Oh, that oh, that's how it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just, I just want to lure them all to bump an them island off. and then bump them off. Right. <laughs> I feel like they're all dressed like murder mystery characters too, so yeah. I think that would work out. Spoiler alert, that is actually the plot of Knives Out 2. Ryan Johnson sent me the script. That's who I play, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Are we really getting that? Knives Out 2 is happening? It is happening, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a fish, and then the pandemic happened. So <laughs> I'm assuming it's going to shoot this year. It's nice to get to look forward to that mystery as opposed to the Kenneth Branagh Death on the Nile we're getting with like Gal Gadot. I'm like, the first one was such a disaster, Murder on the Orient Express, and now I have to deal with her comedy again. And she's pregnant now, so unless they write it into the script, she's going to be carrying around pineapples. <laughs> she said, I'm not going to imagine all the people. I'm going to make all the people. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to pop these little kids out. Uh, we also are going to be talking about Miss Taylor Swift this week. Who? <laughs> and <on> again. <laughs> She did not drop another album, Aida. I'm sure. Is she prepping for another documentary? I'm, th- that's usually what's happening. She's prepping for war with Netflix. That's <laughs> what she's up to. Uh, and Jonah Hill is taking on the Daily Mail. So, Which, as you know, is how I get my news. So without that, I'm fucked. I'm worried. <laughs> uh, if he destroys the Daily Mail, how am I going to get an HFPA? <laughs> exactly. No, right. That was exactly. your conduit. <laughs> I have already been rejected by Cahiers de Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Daily Mail is like how you find out who has the grossest celebrity butt or whatever. Like they're horrible headlines. So and so looks disheveled as she blank blanks. Yeah. It's like a mean just Jared. Ooh, which I mean I support intuitively, but in practice is too mean. Right. You read just Jared and it's like, oh, okay, Nick Jonas stepped out in um Burberry today, right? Mm-hmm. And whereas the Daily Mail is 
Rita Ora <laughs> looks drunk <laughs> as she falls <laughs> out of a car <laughs> in Soho. <laughs> With a Birkin bag. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, Always highlights what she's wearing, too. <laughs> Actually, that was quite flattering what you said to Just Jared, because I think of Just Jared as more like, Anna Kendrick, whom we stan, has a lovely day. Like, just barely <laughs> anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's true. Just Jared is sort of like banal sightings of celebrities. Right, which the Dumois industry has taken over, if you're familiar with yeah. that Instagram account. Mm. Look, look up Dumois, D-E-U-X-M-O-I. It is a hole from which you cannot escape. Every update is like anonymous send-ins, and the T could not be blander. It'll be like, please don't post my name, but I saw Jake Gyllenhaal looking wonderful. Like, that's it. Yeah. Just like, and where, where, like, there's no information. I don't want it people is, to know I have eyes. <laughs> yeah. It is Lipton iced tea that you left in the kitchen <laughs> yeah. on your way to work, and then you get back after work, and you realize it's still there, and you're like, well, I guess I'll drink it. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing about the submissions, too, is there's, there'll usually be one where it's like, I interacted with Kate Hudson, and she was a bitch. Anon, please. And then, like, Two slides later, someone will be like, that's not true at all. I interacted with Kate Hudson, and she's very lovely. Anon, please. <laughs> Glad we saw that. Only one interaction with Kate Hudson can be, can be had. That's like a law of science. Only one person has ever spoken to her. Also, I love that people continue to be blown away by the idea that a celebrity might be salty to you. Do you know why people want to meet celebrities? So they can talk about themselves. When you go up to right. a celebrity, it is about you. Why would their immediate instinct be, to coddle you into loving everything about them. I understand likability is a, somewhat a part of their job description, but not in a gorilla way on the street. Yeah. Yeah, I think if that were ever, ever happened to me, it would be like two weeks of getting fawned over that I could handle. And then beyond that, it's like, I can't speak to you guys. I no longer work for you. Right. I'm not a servant of the people. I mean, we have people who listen to our podcast who approach us sometimes back in the before days. You know what? I may not be nice if you find me at a bar in West Hollywood at 2.30 a.m. and I am drunk. Mm. <laughs> I, stop me if I've said this before. Uh, occasionally I'll be out in West Hollywood with Billy Eichner and when people approach him, it's not always this way, people will try to like do his bit at him like they'll like, yeah. like uh-uh. hold a fake microphone to his face. It's like, how is he supposed to interact with that? Like clearly, first of all, it's a shtick he does and you want him to reenact the shtick. It's so crazy what people want from people they casually run into. It's, it's, I'm sure that's not news to anybody listening, but it's really unthinking how people interact with certain celebrities. No, and, so, and then that person will then go and write on a website or a forum, right? And say, yeah. I went out to say hi to Billy Eichner and he was so rude and wouldn't say hi to me. And it's like... Well, you didn't write the fact that you put a fake microphone in his face and started screaming at him like you were Billy on the street. Right. Anon, please. Anon, please. <laughs> let's, get, let's actually get a reverse de moi where celebrities write about their yes. interactions Man, that's with what I regular want. people. Yes. Get it I met this asshole named Janet. Yeah. <laughs> Look out for her. She She's lives near LAX. She stalked me in Trader Joe's for an hour, then finally came up to me and asked if I would autograph her Trader Giotto's pasta sauce. (laughs) (laughs) You know who I think would be good at this? Charlize Theron. Charlize would not hold back. Oh, of course not. I've already talked about on the show how Charlize Africa um, followed me on Twitter once. Big mistake. <laughs> and, I, and well, and, and I and I know one of the people who works for her. And I was like, "Did you do this?" And he was like, "No." Like she found it herself. She thought you were funny. Months later, 
I was unfollowed. She no longer found me funny. That's right. <laughs> I feel like you get a sh- you get a small window with Charlize. Iris, she thought you were her brother. She was just looking for family <laughs> connection. <laughs> when she found out, you oh, Ira Africa, I love her. Uh, <laughs> she's like, oh no, Ira America, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with our Golden Globes chat. So we just had the 78th Golden Globes, a ceremony we have bemoaned frequently in the past few weeks because who's to say what it really means other than we watch it and for some reason celebrities still go and ultimately I blame them and can't be blamed for following them. That said, we got the sort of Zoom cast we expected sort of in the tradition of uh, last year's Emmys. And as you know, I worked on those Emmys and every speech I would think to myself, well, this one could go wrong. And for some reason... It never did. And on this one, the first speech had a gaffe. (laughs) And the way the gaffe was covered up, and it was Daniel Kaluuya trying to give a speech. And by the way, so was he on mute? Yeah, he was muted. Mm -hmm. But like, was he muted or did he do that himself? I have no idea. Oh, conspire, bitch. Conspire. Okay. Yes, it was his fault. (laughs) That just feels like something they would get immediately right on the first award. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But I did think it'd be funny if every time somebody was about to give a speech, Laura Dern just interrupted them and said, they want to thank everybody, but we don't have time. (laughs) That's how the the new playoff is just Laura Dern. Laura Dern, her face, she was horrified to have to be like, I'm so sorry, but Daniel is not going to get to talk. Not in the midst of a racism scandal. Not in right. the midst. <laughs> and, 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 Laura, and you know Laura was pissed too because she was like, I, I'm the one who dates black men. So. Exactly. Exactly. I'm in, I'm in the she field, immediately I'm called Common. Yes. Right. right. <laughs> um, but like the awkwardness of that moment wasn't just that he was cut off. Like Laura Dern reached out to nothing. It was like she was suddenly stuck in the middle of an interpretive dance with no music. It <laughs> was tough to watch because let's let's say something about Laura Dern, spontaneous actress, not an improviser. No, not at all. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> so sweet though. Oh yeah, seems very as is. I would be surprised if there was a dark corridor to her, her personality or something like that. But um, yeah. I will say specifically about this Golden Globes. Okay, when there's an al- a live award ceremony, no matter what it is, I usually want to tweet like 50 things in a row and make all my stupid jokes about this. I found that especially difficult this year because the movies that are in contention, there's no conventional wisdom about. Like, what is the word about Nomadland or Mank or mm-hmm. even Promising Young Woman? Like, we agree it's a, a Me Too movie. You know, there's just nothing real. There's no like advanced comedy take to have on these things. And I feel like it makes it hard for people to talk about just because there's so little dialogue mm. about the movies these, this year. The thing is, there's no, like, buzz, right? Even going into the Oscars, I can't necessarily tell you who is a front runner mm-hmm. for anything, except maybe people who have won awards. Like, I can tell you that maybe Andrew Day, after winning the Globe for um, United States versus Billie Holiday, may get an Oscar nom now, mm-hmm. because it's putting it on people's radars, but... Without the traditional rollout, without the traditional, you know, sort of like general public seeing films and like reacting to them online, without the general press tour, you know, we don't really have a sense of any 
thing. You know, it's right. it's, it's interesting because this is one of the first years where like a um, Sasha Stone won't be able to get up in arms, right? You know, there's no movie like a Green Book or like a La La Land yeah, yeah, yeah. where like people are just dragging it because of like something problematic in it. Like, I don't think there's any movie this year that that enough people have seen or care about enough to be like, this is the worst movie of the year and we'll be so mad if it gets a nomination because people are just sort of like, I guess whatever will be nominated. Yeah. Like some of my friends don't like Mank like I do, Mm -hmm. but I don't think any of you like have vitriol towards Mank. No, that would be funny if I did, though. I would love that hill for me to die on. Um, (laughs) Yes, I agree. The dialogue is stunted about these movies this year. And in a way, for like an Oscar purist for myself, I almost like that more. Like the ceremony is even more for just the people who really care about this stuff. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, no kind of novice um, conventional wisdom can poison the vote and get people voting for Green Book when it has like a Metacritic score of 59 or something. That said... I do love it when people talk about movies all the time, so I can't have mm-hmm. it both ways, and it upsets me. That said, mm-hmm. we w- we just had this whole discussion about how the Golden Globes tend to be irrelevant. They Sometimes they can predict things, but generally speaking, it doesn't matter. And this time, Andra Day wins, and now we're like, well, now she has to get nominated. Like, we've mm-hmm. underestimated these bastards, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw that viewership, of course, between some combination of nobody is actually tuning in to watch the Golden Globes, uh, the pandemic, and I bet movie viewership is down a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Viewership went down from like 18 million to 5 million people, and I was like, girl, this is, I don't know <laughs> if we're going to have a 79th Golden Globes. I don't know what's going to happen. And also, I tr- struggled to make my way through Nomadland yesterday, really mm-hmm. trying to watch it. And I was like, what is this movie about for maybe the first 30 minutes, and mm-hmm. didn't want to engage in any dialogue about it. Nor did I see Mank, but Promising Young Woman feels like a movie that we didn't need this year. Mm-hmm. It does feel like maybe like a year ago, it, it could have been a little bit splashier. That said, this year, there's so little buzz about like the acting categories in general. I almost wonder if it's better for that movie because Carrie, to me, seems to be the one. She has the heat of like playing a somewhat unexpected role for herself and then... There's the content of the movie, which I feel like is just inherently buzzier than the other things. That said, I fucking mm-hmm. love Nomadland. So you and I, Aida, will be we'll fight. fighting in the streets. Yes, I love Nomadland. The literal as streets. Well. The literal streets. <laughs> I thought it was gorgeous. You know, yeah, and also mm. my that's my favorite Frances McDormand performance. I would put it ahead of Fargo for me personally. Well, shout mm. out to Chloe Zhao for the direction too. It was a beautifully done movie. I just feel like hmm. if there's one thing she gonna do, it shoot some nature. Oh yeah. <laughs> Chloe Zhao loves some nature. Mm -hmm. Do you know what she's going to do? Turn your life into a big cinematic poem. How about that? Yeah. The longest haiku of your life. Uh, My favorite Frances role is still in my favorite Cohen movie, which is Burn After Reading. But she's gorgeous in this movie. I Like, heartbreaking. Also, shout out Anya Taylor-Joy for being the sharpest dressed little girl. She was dressed so sharp. She was dressed like a scalpel, okay? She was so, <laughs> so starkly beautiful. She's just like a little like a little fairy, like a little ball of joy to me. I don't know how to even access her humanity. Okay, it was so hard to do Globes ballots with, uh, while watching with friends this year, mm-hmm. but the easiest thing to do was the like limited categories because I was like, mm. okay, well, the one thing that everyone did sort of agree on this year was that we all love the Queen's Gambit. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. That was like that was more buzzier than any film that was nominated this year. Definitely. Also, how unexpected was the glamour quotient of the Golden Globes, though? First of all, I had forgotten how much I do enjoy watching 
a fashion rollout at an award show, basically. Mm. We just haven't had much of that in the past year. And then secondly, Amanda Seyfried looked unbelievable. Her beat should always be peaches and cream. I always want to see that on her. But Mm. Anya Taylor-Joy, I mean, her claymation fawn beauty just exalted to the (laughs) end in perfect emerald. She, She just... It, it really was stunning, like a, a word I would almost never use, iconic. Because, by the way, iconic mm-hmm. is a backhanded compliment. You know what else is iconic? The Hindenburg. <laughs> if you remember how it looks, it's iconic. Well, you know what? Blow me up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she, is, she is giving me the features that I love in a mm. white woman. Severe, sort mm-hmm. of mysterious. Yeah. Like, that's why I love Angelina Jolie. Like, Anya Taylor-Joy is everything and also <laughs> gave its comedy um via variety uh because when she won they called her um, a woman of color because <laughs> 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 she's because she's argentinian she's- i was like she is white argentinian ma'am <laughs> oh my goodness so, okay glamour 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 regina king in her pre-awards interview was just mm-hmm. looked amazing. The best part about her interview was like uh, her little puppy sitting in the back, like, girl, mm-hmm. wake me up when the Emmys happen. <laughs> well, so she is styled by my current favorite stylist in the game, Wayman and Micah, um, mm. this black duo, and they work with her. Um, they do Kiki Lane. Um, I think Julia Garner as well. Um, Robin Thede's clothes on um, Hot Dog. Um, they do that. Um, and um, a lot of other, like, black actresses in the game right now. And so it's like, I can always tell when, like, their clothes look good. I love how you added yeah. Robin Thede and Hot Dog to that pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> I had to point out Robin Thede. <laughs> we do enjoy Robin Thede. It's just yes. moving right along, yes. Um, Speaking of outfits and, you know, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, have first of all have some nerve not being in the same location we'll get to that that was a, a very interesting choice like what kind of 1940s movie tricks were they attempting to pull yes. with those split screen not that it wasn't not that they didn't make light of it in a funny way but it was just an odd choice yeah a lot of the jokes sometimes especially the beginning opening monologue relied on the fact that they were in two different cities and i was like y'all um. deliberately didn't fly out for this one joke yeah <laughs> that's what it is and also she was on tina was on the left side and emmy was on the right side but they were like differing from the coast, and that was really messing with my mind the whole fucking show. Oh, you're so. right. Yeah, because <laughs> Tina was in New York and Amy yeah, was yeah. in uh, uh, Los Angeles. Amy looked good, though. They both did. So I have a theory. Except for that weird flower thing Tina wore at one point. Mm-hmm. Strange. Well, they generally looked very good, both of them. Um, and I appreciated how much they went in on music. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the right. See a film. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. They really did no hold no bar there. It, like, I have a theory though, because they were both wearing stark shoulders. Um, I have a theory that women in comedy have broad shoulders and no hips, and is <laughs> the same. It's the same like machismo that sends us to comedy in the first place. Mm, um, mm. So I just wanted you guys to think on that and tell me if you can think of a wide-hipped comedian, comedienne. <laughs> If you will. Oh, you're right. Hmm. And and that's just my anthropological study. Of Sherry Shepard. Okay, boo you. Not bitch. really a stand-up though. <laughs> she stands up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is she a stand-up? No, I don't think yeah. she does stand-up. Does she? I think she just did some comedy recently. Not that I Tina's think- a stand-up. I've ruined this whole thing. I apologize. Amy had a brave middle part. 
<laughs> oh, which is happening just like uh, Jared Leto, who unfortunately was among my favorite looks of the night. Well, he's a trans icon, so let's not uh, yes. let's not say yes. anything <laughs> poor about yes. Jared. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Star of Pose, Jared Leto. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I stand by and watch as he runs all over queer roles. I'm a Dallas Buyers cuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will actually say, in regards to the fashion and why, probably why this show dipped in um, ratings, right? One, there was a Lakers game going on mm. <laughs> opposite mm. this, you know? And it's like, something like that isn't happening generally when the globes are happening because it like it shuts down the city and it's promoted nonstop and celebs are flying in, you know, and it becomes like an event, right? Since this yeah. is just like a zoom, it really wasn't on anyone's minds. Mm-hmm. You know? I can even see people in our industry who sort of like care about the globes and stuff not even bothering to watch. You know? Yeah. Because it's it's a fucking Zoom meeting. And also the production value was less than the fucking BET Awards. It looked like a fucking middle school AV club produced the Golden Globes. (laughs) It it was janky as hell. And then you had some people who, like, didn't even bother with some of the fashion. And I want to drag him, but I will not drag Jason Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Because, listen... I get called white man's whore. (laughs) (laughs) People were fucking loving it. He stumbled on like, I I make my three-year-old read Tolstoy. (laughs) Sir, what is going on? He was clearly so stoned. And when he started Mm -hmm. talking about Tolstoy, I was like, it gave me that sensation of being back at like a party where like a stoned white man who yes. read a book recently will talk to you for an hour. <laughs> yes. And you're just like nodding along. Yeah. You have no idea what he's actually talking about. You're like, oh yeah, Tolstoy. Yeah, absolutely. But he looks good. And I've always thought he looked good. I remember seeing him at like the Black Klansmen um, premiere in like some Air Force Ones, some track jacket. And I was like, okay, he's serving a little. Now that he's in his I'm single, you know, with uh, Olivia Wilde um, wearing dresses with Harry Styles, you know, he needed like a new turn. Yeah. Um, And getting stoned and wearing a hoodie to the Golden Globes was like the way to put the attention back on him. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you what I did. I did watch Ted Lasso after that, and I like that little show. Good. It's good. It's good. It's funny. It's enjoyable. I didn't know it was British. I didn't know it was British. Uh, Now I have to watch it. You sound like you're talking about Daniel Kaluuya. Um, yeah, I, I, I love, uh, I love a Jason Sudeikis youth pastor serve. I really do. I was oh, yeah. into it. The and size of the hoodie. Sh- mm-hmm. Shout out Jodie Foster just being gay on her couch. Right. Oh, yeah. The size <laughs> of the dog. It. She was wearing exact opposite mm-hmm. colors of the wife. Mm-hmm. By the way, interesting situation. So, who, uh, Alexandra Hudson, <laughs> who she's with, mm-hmm. was the last person I believe Ellen was with before uh, Portia de Rossi. Portia. Ooh. Mm. Well, there's only four gays to get passed around, so let us live. Yeah. <laughs> no, she like won lesbian monopoly. That's it. Yep. <laughs> well, we have come a long way from her stay out of my business speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know? She's like, here's here's our large fucking dog. Here, here's us settling in. Well, yeah. now it's COVID, right? And and the and the awards are on Zoom, so they literally have to be in her home. Welcome to my home. She can't hide her business. My lesbian home. Can you imagine? She's just like, honey, you stay in the kitchen. 
<laughs> but by the way, um, what is the Mauritanian? I guess I have to watch that now. Like, is Jody going to sneak into this conversation? Remember when we thought Amanda Seyfried was going to win this category? By the way, all the lady winners this year were zany zanes. I'm talking yeah. about Roz Pike winning for that movie we, I, I believe, spat on last week. I, I care a lot. disgusted. This is a theme yeah. of the Golden Globes, though, yeah. is if we dislike it, somehow it'll be lauded at the Golden Globes. Yeah. Nice dress. I really loved her dress. She's wearing this beautiful red. Like, she's she's a cool she celebrity. Can't... I'm into her. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. She, she, we, we liked her. We, oh, we totally. praised her last week and said the movie was awful. We just mm-hmm. want someone to write her a better script. Right. Yeah. And the Mortanian, every time I saw it on a list, I thought it was a Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Jodie Foster up in this? Mandalorian, mandatory, or what? I, I don't even know what the words are anymore. <laughs> What's that old movie um, that was kind of, you'll know this, Lewis. Something, it has something to do with Africa. I think it's maybe called Out of Africa. It's an old Hollywood <laughs> film. <laughs> that, <laughs> by old, you mean 1985. Yes, Meryl Streep. There we go. Plus Maria Brandauer, Ro- uh, Robert Redford. Yes. I, I fear that the Mauritanian has something to do with that ilk of movies. So I'm going to avoid it because I want to enjoy Jodie Foster. Oh, the vague idea of the exotic. Uh, Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams video, if you will. Charlize Africa of it all. Mm -hmm. I also, for the longest, thought that, like, it was called, like, Mauritius or something. And I thought, you know, like, is this about the French Republic? I don't know. Or the end of Dodo's. That's where where Dodo's lived. I should really look up what this is about. Yeah, don't do it, Aida. I think there's no way of knowing. They didn't get it on the internet, so you won't find it. Yeah. Not, there's no Wikipedia. Is that all we have to say about the Globes? Yeah, I'm thinking if I missed it. Oh, it, I guess it was cool to see Sasha Baron Cohen win. Uh, he is now one for the original Borat and its sequel. Borat, the movie that should have actually been the foreign language film, yeah. <laughs> if anything. <laughs> Minari should have just been best film. Yeah. Oh, they were also like, here you go, Minari. Yeah. <laughs> Take this. Voting closed like mere days before the actual awards happened. And every time a black person kept winning, I was like, I see what y'all do in HFPA. <laughs> <laughs> Saving a little face in the 11th hour. I, I do not think any person in the HFPA has seen small acts. Right. Picture them watching I haven't that. even seen it yet. Right. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched it yet either. I mean, I was going to start watching it when Letitia Wright started uh, wilding out. Oh, wait, but speaking of our favorite foreign language cinema of the year, uh, my favorite joke was about Emily in Paris when uh, mm. <laughs> uh, uh, Tina Fey said, French exit, that's what I did after the first hour of Emily in Paris. See, that's what we love. Mm-hmm. And also not true because everybody watched that whole show. Yeah, I, I would be willing to bet that Tina Fey also watched all of Emily in Paris right? and hates the fact that she did. <laughs> and also honorable mention to Jane Fonda for being a walking TV guide and shouting out, I may destroy you. Oh, yeah. She was listing all those credits. It was like the Vogue rap, except with 2021 <laughs> TV titles. Um, <laughs> she also, the only thing I would say about uh, Jane Fonda's speech was she could have stand to go, go on longer. I mean, the woman is so speech team. She could have lectured and lectured, and I think it would have been Super entertaining. I was enraptured. Yeah. Yeah. She, she nailed it. And by the idea that she watches those things, right? Right. Like, it, it wasn't just a speech where someone, like, she had to be like, give me these things so I can bring them up, right? Like, you can tell she's actually standing there and talking about things that she actually watched. And it's so nice hearing someone in the industry talk excitedly about the work that other people in her field are doing Mm -hmm. and why it matters. And also, clearly, she had internalized it. It wasn't just, Mm -hmm. here's the party line about these critically hailed shows. Like, I specifically took something from this. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was 
very exciting. And also, the montage of all her movies was I was I was trying to think of why that montage was so exhilarating to me, and I think it's because she really is a Madonna of the silver screen and that every movie is a different era or look mm-hmm. or phase. And so it's like you're watching, it, you know, that kind of Sharon concert vibe of you really mm. flew through a, th- a thousand looks in just, you know, a one clip montage. And God, all those movies are so good, as we've talked about. And she with Jane and without Jane. all of them. Yeah, my God. The China She's always serving oh, bodies. Oh, She's so fine. Yeah. yeah. Truly. She won't quit. She'll never relent is what yeah. Jane Fonda will never do. Anyway. Those are the Globes. We did it. We're also <laughs> going to talk about them next week. <laughs> <laughs> Our 2022 predictions are on the way. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, when we're back, I will be joined by Dominique Fishback of Judas and the Black Messiah. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Our guest today is a light, an actress and a poet who's already a prestige TV veteran. You can currently see her as activist and Chicago Black Panther, Deborah Johnson in Judas and the Black Messiah. Please welcome Dominique Fishback. Hi, Dom. Want to get your um, reactions first to um, the Globes? last night you know seeing danielle winning um for the film yeah honestly i was so proud i didn't expect it to happen so early on like that it was like the first award <laughs> and um, and then when you couldn't hear him his speech i was like what's going on you know i was a little bit nervous and then he came back on uh being himself being swagged out as always and just the nipsey quote the way he spoke about chairman fred and how he made him a better man I was I was proud that he got to say that because I, I know how much playing Chairman Fred really changed him, just like playing Mama Akua really changed me. It was an exchange in that way. And uh, then I posted, uh, but I posted something like, but you're the son, because he said I was a light, which is really sweet. So I said, but he's the son. <laughs> yeah. Talking about um, working with him then, uh, how was that on set? Um, getting to know him, um, getting into, you know, um, replicating, I guess, this relationship as well. Yeah, I first met him at the Gotham Awards in, like, 2017. And I just went up to him. I said, I just want to say congratulations. I, I like you. I think you're amazing. He was like, thank you, thank you. And that was kind of it. I didn't want to, like, ask for a picture or anything. I said, I'll work with him one day. And then soon enough, <laughs> Shaka's writing me, well, they're sending me an email that Shaka wrote the role of Deborah Johnson for me and that mm-hmm. Daniel and the were already attached. So um, working with Daniel was really a dream come true. When we, we all got together, the cast and, and all of us, we were so close that we would go bowling, you know, see movies, we go roller skating. And each time I tried to make sure that I was in the movies, I was sitting next to Daniel mm-hmm. because I wanted to really get real life experience from the opportunities that presented themselves. Mm-hmm. 
I think I've read before that you had been sort of working on your own Black Panther story as well, almost like a Romeo and Juliet one. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me about what sparked your interest in the Black Panther Party in the first place and um, sort of where you were at in getting into that headspace before you'd even um, been approached by Shaka? Yeah, um, I started learning more about the Black Panther Party when I was in college and I was in the Black Student Union. Mm-hmm. We started learning about Chairman Fred, actually. So I knew before getting this role that Chairman was assassinated at 21, that his um, his fiance was in the bed with him and she was set, uh, nine months pregnant and she covered his body. And I knew that an informant had betrayed him and ultimately helped uh, to assassinate him. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know about the Rainbow Coalition and the ways in which he was uniting uh, different race groups or different you know gangs together. I wrote a one-woman show called Subverted, which is about mm-hmm. the destruction of Black identity in America. And I wrote it to graduate from college as my thesis. A lot of times I would be the only Black person in my classes. And I was in a sociology class and a white boy said if African-American males in low-income communities dressed normally, they wouldn't be stopped by the police. And I was so upset. And I uh, debated with him and stumbled over my words. And I looked around and nobody could advocate with me because nobody came from where I was from. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I said, I'm going to use this opportunity to write a thesis, a one-woman show. And for an hour and 20 minutes, this predominantly white university has to sit in my truth and the truth of people who come from neighborhoods like mine. So I had already had, um, I guess, like an affinity for Black history and the urge to kind of write and knowing kind of like a North Node, like how can I stand behind anything that I do in art is to know that from deep inside it means something to me. Mm-hmm. So um, when I wanted to kind of venture into screenwriting and uh, writing a TV show, I was like, well, what can I do? What do I love? Oh, I love romances. Mm-hmm. Love Romeo and and then I was actually inspired by um, the idea that Angela Davis and George Jackson used to write love letters to each other. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find the letters because I was going to make a story about these letters. I couldn't find them. So I, then I, I changed it to be like, uh, it's called Gwendolyn and Sekou. Mm-hmm. And it's about a Black Panther falls in love with a girl whose father's a cop. Very Romeo and Juliet-esque. And I was reading a book called The Taste of Power by Elaine Brown. And I got the email that Shaka wanted me for the role. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like um, alignment for sure. Because he didn't know what I was working on. I didn't know know him, didn't know what he was working on. And then lo and behold, it's this love story that I get to portray. So you already have this interest in writing. You'd already been performing. uh, And, you know, you're a poet as well. Um, What were sort of your early influences in you know, getting you into poetry, getting you into loving language itself and becoming a writer? When I was about 12, I, I was writing poetry and I would share with my mom and she'd be like, Dom, you thought about, you thought of that? And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't think it was, I was like, what's my mom? Of course she's going to support me. Um, when I wanted to act, I, I found a free theater program called MCC, where in order to act, you had to write your own stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started learning about monologues and theater scenes and I saw a kid do spoken word poetry, and I said, oh, that's what I want to do. And then that theater company also took us to see my first um, Broadway show, which was In the Heights, mm-hmm. by Nell and Miranda. And I saw a one-woman show called No Child by Elijah's son. And those were like, oh, theater has a place for me, a place for voices like mine on these Broadway stages or these off-Broadway stages. 
So um, I always loved language. I always felt connected to poetry. And then once I got on stage and started performing and realizing that the more specific I was, the more universal it was, Mm -hmm. that was really powerful. And then having a mom like mine who never wanted me to shy away from my truths, even if it kind of told things about her. She never said, oh, Dom, you can't say that because that's my business. She was like, you know, that that's your experience. That's your truth. You could say it if you want to. <laughs> and that was really encouraging to me so I didn't have to hide or be ashamed. I could be vulnerable and I could kind of expose myself. That's how I started writing poetry, just kind of telling my truth. I just posted uh, a poem about my grandmother. She passed away from cancer. Mm-hmm. But the hard part is like, you know, when they, when people that we love pass away, we like to think of, all, well, we try to hold on to all of the moments where we were perfect or it was perfect. And then we try to suppress the times where we weren't so perfect or we didn't feel so great. And I kind of use my poetry to bring that out, to kind of free myself. Mm-hmm. One thing that I really loved about your performance in Judas was, you know, you, you just have this very um, naturalistic acting style, but you're also just sort of like, so mesmerizing in these scenes also when you're like with Daniel, you know, who's um, coming from this other kind of, you know, like just sort of like this magnetism on camera. How do you approach being in scenes and I guess just acting? And is it different from when you are on stage, you know, reciting poetry? Like what different headspaces do you get into? Um, so, like you know, I started in theater. And so making that transition in the beginning was a bit confusing because I had an audition back in like 2011. So I, I wouldn't go on to do TV until like 2014. Uh, or 20, but I didn't constantly go for TV auditions. That was like my first one and then I left it. Mm-hmm. But she said, you know, you make really strong choices, but you're so theatrical. Can you like bring it down or something, she said. And I really would get upset by that because I'm like, in real life, I'm very theatrical. So they can't <laughs> tell me that that's not real. Yeah. And um, I read a book by Michael Caine called um, Acting and Film and TV. Mm-hmm. And he talked, and I'm going to paraphrase it not exactly, but he talked about how film has the same exact intensity as theater, but it can't come out the same way. So it doesn't mean it's smaller, it's just bottled up inside. Mm-hmm. And that the only way it can come out is through your eyes or through your voice. And I kind of, I don't know if he said this or analogy came to my head but it's like almost shaking up a soda bottle mm-hmm. and if you go like this it's just gonna go everywhere but if you slowly turn the top then it'll ooze out a little bit and that imagery like like it made a light switch off in my head um for in terms of um tv and um theater and, and approaching i kind of i journal as all of my characters i journaled a lot as deborah johnson mm. which allowed me because it was a a prop in a movie and something that really belonged to her different from my other characters that I would journalize, Mm -hmm. it allowed me to really flesh out the moment. So every, like, the first kiss that she has with Chairman Fred, the first time she sees him, all of, I write poems for all of those moments. I, like, nickname his dimples in the book. She's really girly in the the journal, but she's also very womanly. There's a lot of Nina Simone references and Langston Hughes references. And I really tried to build up the internal world because I knew that a lot of it would be on the reaction, mm-hmm. not the word. And that's what that's what we talk about acting is, right? It's acting is all in the reactions to things. So really, I feel a bit more free once I do that writing stuff because I know the whole world is moving inside of her and then I can just be present and listen to Danny speak. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's so interesting. When did you start the idea of journaling as the characters? Like, do you have that back for like Project Power and for like the Deuce as well? It actually goes back to my first big TV thing, which was Show Me Hero with David mm-hmm. Simon and HBO. And um, I was with one of the actors in the show. Her name is Natalie Paul. And we would go into the cafes and we would just kind of work on our separate things together. And she said she would summarize scenes. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really cool. So I started summarizing scenes. But as I summarized them, I started to put the eye. Oh, I did this as my character. Oh, I did this. And then I would start allowing my, my mind, my imagination to flow and then bring up things that I couldn't possibly know from the script. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, a journal entry. Okay, and then I put a song to every scene, you know, and then and that it kind of developed. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of journaling for Darlene or journaling for Deborah Johnson. This one was different too because a lot of times I would journal on the computer. Mm-hmm. This one was handwritten, all in cursive because I knew it was important. I didn't want to take anybody out of it mm-hmm. by writing and like print, right? Because then you're going to see maybe it's a modern, you know, 2019 <laughs> uh, handwriting as opposed to a yeah. person. That's so um, interesting to hear too. And when you talk about, you know, like the influences of like Langston and Nina in them, you know, what would you say were some of your early influences in black art or, you know, theater or music that sort of like inspired you to be like, um, this is what um, I want to be doing. And like, what do you sort of like find yourself always returning to and reading now? Yeah, when I was a kid, uh, Jackson 5 was just everything to me. I was like 10 doing Dancing Machine in East New York, Brooklyn. And they would be like, Don, you're so weird. You're so weird. Uh, so we did do Dancing Machine. Aaliyah, um, I really love that she had that kind of that grit to her, but she also had that femininity. And I was like, I'm an athlete. I play football, basketball, quarterback, tackle on the concrete streets, climbing the fence with the boys. So it so it really was a, but I would see her and be like, oh, that's that's what I aspire to, where you don't have to cast away one side of yourself. You can be all of the things. Mm-hmm. I love Lauren Hill's MTV Unplugged. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to put my own spoken word to music, to mm-hmm. piano. Um, I just love how she did Unplugged and it was very raw and it was like spoken word and someone was singing guitar. Um, and now I have like my own cover that I made of Jay-Z's Song Cry. Okay. I, like, my, my Instagram. <laughs> it was just me. People say, oh, it's like, oh, Donnie, you should try to rap. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then finally, because I did Project Power and she was a rapper and then I couldn't do a live on Instagram without somebody saying, hey, rap for us. Can you spit for us? Can you do a poem for us? So I was like, maybe that's the universe saying, Dominique, it's time to get to it. So my first cover was um, Jay-Z. And I'm, I'm looking this way because I have a picture of me and Jay-Z. I played his mom mm. in his music video for song uh, for Smile. Oh, you did? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so like, I'm just looking over there when I'm talking. So if you see me, it's just because there's a picture mm-hmm. right there. What made you pick that song in particular? I love that song. Yeah, I don't know. It just, I mean, it's one of those songs that hit forever. Like, it'll never, it'll never get old. And... If I could be brave enough to try my spoken word on a classic like that, then then the rest will be fairly easy, right? Because like everybody knows that song, and that was the reason why I picked it. Like even if you like you hearing the music, oh that sounds familiar, and then when it gets to the chorus, like song cry, and you and you kind of gravitate towards it. I just I just loved it, and I really wanted to to pay homage, and mm-hmm. and I loved it. Uh, one of the last things I want to ask is um, you had said in an interview that like you love a lot of romance stuff and you know it's uh you watch um the vampire diaries all the time uh how many times 
have you do you just rewatch it you know like on your downtime because i used to watch that show too oh yeah don't get me started we will go on a whole okay. <laughs> so i probably watched about seven times not gonna lie <laughs> not straight through because the later seasons uh, I'm, not, I'm a Delena. I love Damon and Elena. I'm I love Damon and Elena. I think I, I stopped. I think I stopped like halfway through like the college um, seasons. Yeah, I get that. I, and I loved Caroline and Klaus together. Mm-hmm. They didn't make end game. That kind of hurt me. You know, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I always get. I always get giddy. I love watching the. I love watching probably like the first through third maybe fourth season mm-hmm. because I love the build of it. Like the season finale of the first one when she, when Damon thought he was kissing her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last, the second, the season finale of the second one, when uh, she does kiss him, duh, duh. like, you know, it's like they had the best season finales. Mm-hmm. It will always be one more. Yes. I watch it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today. Meet you. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. The celebrities have had it. They tired. They tired. They are tired. Specifically, <laughs> Taylor Swift and Jonah Hill uh, had some call-outs to do this past weekend. Uh, Taylor Swift is mad at Netflix, mm-hmm. and Jonah Hill went after the Daily Mail. But let's get into Miss Taylor first. I'm always interested in the idea of Taylor Swift watching TV. Media. Right? Isn't that weird to think of her she watching didn't watch this, this show? Shit. You don't think no, she did? No way. Somebody, no. somebody was like, they're talking about you, girl. Not and she all. was like, let me stop plunking out middle C and writing a, a song right now. <laughs> and I'm going to go handle yeah. this on Twitter. No. So what happened, I believe, is there's this Netflix show called Ginny and Georgia, which from the trailer looks like some Gilmore Girls knockoff. The girls aren't even watching this show. That's the thing, No one's too. watching it. Um, the only thing that I saw from it over the weekend was um, a viral clip of two half-white characters arguing about um, who was whiter. Not half-white. Uh, <laughs> and, like, using the term oppression Olympics. So it was, it was already a horribly written show from our knowledge of it. And I don't think she watched it at all. I think some Taylor Swift fan watched it and saw this bad joke in it um, where someone says, what do you care? You go through men faster than Taylor Swift. And apparently, respect Taylor Swift was like trending over the weekend lightly. And of course, whenever her fans get something trending, that's how she sees it. Mm, mm. So one, why care about it is my question. And two, yes, it's a sexist joke. And it is a joke that seems like it is from 2010. That is right. No one should be proud of that joke because it's especially dated. That's why you should be mad. Call out the bad joke. But my thing is how she then decided to jump into her ego and make this about 
just sort of like feminism in general. Happy Women's History Month, I guess, is how she ended her tweet. Uh, And then she also called out Netflix um, for doing this after Miss Americana was on Netflix. And I just want to point out that the insistence that Netflix, because they made a project with you once, should then be monitoring the content that writers make on any of their shows or films is Gestapo like mm-hmm. and I'll, right it, it's it's like she borrowed the rhetoric of other important conversations to say clearly you shouldn't have said one thing about me in this comedy show look again I'm not saying it's not a contrived joke but it does feel like throwing her weight around in a way that feels I don't want to say irresponsible but ridiculous to me mm-hmm. yeah redefine the narrative girl that's what I just got just redefine that you are not you know going through men you are showing them they're indispensable and this should actually give you power move forward do what you need to do but that's the thing with Taylor Swift is like you are a public figure you are always going to be the butt of a joke now that's not a sexism conversation we need to be having at this moment I'm sorry Taylor get over it I also think okay like goes through men like that does feel like very ancient Jay Leno era joke setup for like talking about a woman. That said though, it's interesting because her career was also about associations with certain famous men that I can identify by name. So I, I'm not saying like it's bad that you dated like I, I that might be my favorite thing about Taylor Swift that I can track her dating life in a sort of Elizabeth Taylor way. That's like the era of celebrity I want back. You know? I wish I could. that's 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 the sentiment that was like she dated like taylor lautner and joe jonas i've dated probably as many men as taylor swift has dated but mine was like a cashier at jamba juice nobody's fucking talking about him (laughs) (laughs) she just needs to accept that and she she literally spoke in a british accent during a performance once to indicate oh yes i am talking about harry styles yeah she wrote a song called style while she was dating him she she really does attract this attention and now like doesn't know how to handle it when we address that it exists well, what's interesting about Taylor is, and what we talked about during the Folklore to Evermore conversation, right, is that she sort of improved her um, songwriting and even sort of like status within the industry by getting away from the autobiographical mm-hmm. and going into sort of like the storytelling that she's doing on these mm-hmm. albums, right? Like the working with someone like Aaron Destiner of um, The National and like working with Bonnie Vare is giving her like this different cred in the industry in the way that like yes. a lot of people would have not wanted to like associate with even just the name Taylor Swift. And now I feel like... Mm-hmm. Every producer in the game would love to work with her, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like she's coming to her own new era, and she wants to leave that one behind. Mm -hmm. But the easiest thing to do would be to, one, ignore it, because Swifties getting respect Taylor Swift trending is ridiculous, because the responses to the Jenny and Georgia joke were all of them tweeting out screenshots of other jokes about Taylor Swift and TV shows, being like, this is how you should actually make a joke about Taylor Swift, it should be respectful. And I'm like, okay, that's not actually how jokes work. <laughs> right. and, my, and mind your business. disrespected. <laughs> okay, stay out of comedian's business. Two, going back to what you were saying, Lewis, it was incredibly irresponsible. Because for one, now you have Swifties attacking um, the actress Antonia Gentry being like, apologize to Taylor Swift on her Instagram. A girl who is half black, so now you have white fans attacking a black girl on the internet 
at the behest of a rich white woman for a joke written by two white women mm. because that black mm-hmm, actress did not mm-hmm. write it. Two older white women wrote this joke. They're clearly hack writers because of this dumb joke in the other scene that went viral. But now because of you tweeting this out, like a black girl's being attacked by your fans, girl. So mm-hmm. congrats. Happy Women's History Month indeed. It was not a <laughs> tailored argument, if you will. I'm sorry to use that play on words. But... <laughs> uh, and that goes to this era of Taylor Swift that I thought we were past, right? You know, this like having the Swifties like attack someone like this is out of hand. Like this, this isn't a Kanye situation. This isn't a Scooter Braun situation. Like you could, you could have left this alone. It, yeah, it was surprising to read. Yeah, and as I said before, the implication that because they worked with her, Netflix should make sure that no joke about Taylor Swift is ever in anything that comes out on their platform is wild. It's sort of an even worse version of the Selena Gomez fans getting that joke pulled from Saved by the Bell. Mm. Oh, right. I want to actually challenge people to write good Taylor Swift jokes because, by the way, when I look back at my old Taylor Swift jokes, and you know I was all about that once upon a time, probably problematically, um, I just don't like them anymore. It feels like they're mm-hmm. all jokes that like are in the style... like. There was there was like one joke area you could work with on her. And so if you have a really good one, I would just like to read it because it should be a fresh new place for us. Mm-hmm. A celebrity call out I did agree with this week, though, was Jonah Hill calling out the Daily Mail. Had to be done. As we mentioned before, the uh, Daily Mail loves to publish paparazzi photos of celebrities uh, with wild headlines. Um, the one this time was... Um, them like stalking him while he was surfing and the headline is Jonah Hill slips into his black wetsuit for surf date in Malibu before showing off his tattoos while going shirtless to towel himself off. First of all, what a headline. Yeah. Any more information you want to throw in? Yeah. (laughs) So long and mundane. And also I'm really searching for the insult in the headline. Mm-hmm. I understand why Jonah Hill reacted the way he did because this has been building up for years and years and I'm so mm-hmm. happy that he gets to a point where he's like, I accept my body, fuck all of you guys, but I, I, I didn't understand what was unflattering about what they said. Yeah, so this is, the, this is the interesting part about the Jonah Hill thing. I'm actually glad that he finally addressed, you know, the idea, you know, he was like, this is for the kids who like never take their shirt off in the pool, you know, or like talked, and he's talked before in GQ um, about how, um, People are calling him like sort of like a fashion like icon now, right? Or they like his style, but they never used to say that because it was like he was fat. And so it was like you can't sort of be like, oh, he looks great in clothes because one, a lot of clothes aren't designed to fit him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or you're just paying attention to one specific thing, you know? I mean, I know what Jonah Hill's going through um, because I often used to find it like, hard to specifically dress and then having people comment on things that you were wearing. But I will say this was a situation where he was mad about years of the media talking about his body in a certain way and used this incident to talk about that. Mm -hmm. I don't think the specific headline and photos themselves were insulting. Yeah, Yeah. it was a pressure cooker. Yeah, Though also it's like when when you're surprised to see yourself, because obviously he's just what out in public like I don't yeah. think he mm-hmm. planned on getting his picture taken that there has to be something just so jarring about that you know you're Absolutely. not looking at your body in a mirror you're looking at it you know out in a place where everybody can see it that's mm-hmm. a, a strange situation for anybody but also mm-hmm. I think about just the dialogue about Jonah Hill in general over the years and 
it's a little bit confused. Like he was once a very funny actor, still is funny occasionally, but then became the serious thing. And I remember personally like, I don't know about wanting to mock him for being a self-serious person. You know, the way that I kind of would want to mock like a Jim Carrey for trying mm-hmm. to make the majestic or whatever fucking bullshit he was trying to peddle that wasn't Eternal Sunshine the one time he got it right. <laughs> but like, I feel like there's something with Jonah Hill where it's about being taken seriously too that I think mm-hmm. has always sat with him the wrong way. And yeah. I, I do remember complaining that he had as many Oscar nominations as Vivian Lee. I do remember that about myself. <laughs> Especially now as he transitions into like after having directed mid-90s and clearly wanting to be someone who is celebrated in a serious way, um, it does make sense for him to be having these these feelings. Joan, I mm-hmm. see you and I love you. I know. <laughs> Listen, I actually really like Jonah Hill. Yeah. I do too. He's talented. It's great. And as I said, uh, I really did actually personally relate to his Instagram caption. So I'm glad that he did write it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's nice to see a male celebrity sort of get to have that conversation too. You know, because it's usually women having to talk about how their bodies are talked about in the media. And we sort of ignore, you know, like... Um, how we talk about men in the media too because uh, obviously he would have a lot of those hang-ups you know when um, now we've shifted to an era where it's like instead of like Maxim magazine covers right now we're like every celebrity has to have 12 abs uh, Mm -hmm. if you're a male uh, and they're plastered everywhere and um Going to his acting thing, Lewis, I definitely, when he talks about how like people used to see him just as like that schlubby guy from Superbad, right? Mm -hmm. I think the thing about Jonah was that he was very funny in comedies, right? But unlike a Jim Carrey or like even an Adam Sandler, it wasn't like he was a comedian. Right, Uh uh-huh. And so for him, I guess he had always thought like, I've done comedies, but like I can also do serious stuff because I am an actor. Right. And for him, it was less about Oh, I'm a comedian, but now I would like to do like a serious thing. Like for him, it felt more like I need to prove to people that I am actually a versatile actor. Correct. You know, we mistook um, him for a comedian. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then when he's starting to do those serious roles, you know, it, it, it to us it sort of seemed like why is he doing this? But for him, it was probably like, yeah, I like doing both of those. It reminds me of um the conversation we had with Adam Scott, right? Right, right. You know, where we talked about, because he's not specifically like a stand-up comedian, um, but we asked him like, oh, you've done a lot of more serious roles lately, you know, like the Big Little Lies and stuff like that. Uh, And, you know, when he told us that he likes doing both, Mm -hmm. you know, but people tend to just see him as a comedian actor because of Parks and Rec and Party Down and stuff, so. It'd be really difficult to come up with a Will Ferrell and who is just a comedian and is hilarious, and also someone like a Matthew McConaughey who is in movies with these guys but is just hot, and mm-hmm. a Seth Rogen who is someone we laugh at and enjoy, and then Jonah Hill was just there, mm-hmm. like I I I love what I do and I, I look <laughs> like this, and so I, I imagine that's really difficult, but I I do truly love Jonah and I can't wait to see the rest of his career flourish. Same. Well, actually, I would also lastly say that um, an interesting model for Jonah was probably Seth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, like you said, laugh at, we we used to see Seth Rogen in sort of the same way. And then there was the period where Seth shifted into... Hip-hop culture. I'm wearing suits. and Well, hip-hop culture, <laughs> but also he's just stoned all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to his new... Um, oh, yeah, weed line or whatever. His new weed line. Girl, um, it's going to be a week for me next week. It's going to be a rough week. <laughs> <laughs> I might not show up to recording next week, guys. <laughs> I'm like, listen, if if Seth Rogen is saying that this weed is um, good, then 
I certainly will be smoking it. Um, but if I do, I'm getting high just thinking about it. <laughs> I know it's called House Plant, and I'm like, I feel like if I smoke any of this weed, though, I'm gonna be dead for a month. <laughs> right, <laughs> guys. All Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen has transitioned into like artisanal mom phase. Like he's at home. Right, pots right. He's doing and pottery face, yes. and stuff, and I love it. But um, aside from just the hip hop culture thing, it was also like there was that period where Seth shifted into like I'm wearing a really good tailored suit on this red carpet. Um, and I'm on the cover of GQ. So like he was an actor who sort of went through that thing. Oh, yeah. He was a superhero movie. So he yeah. went through that same sort of Jonah Hill transformation. And I have to imagine that like Jonah has seen that happen and is sort of like um, the way that people talked about Seth's body and the way that people talk about it now, um, how he is um, sort of maybe just a model for him, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I always appreciated about Seth um, particularly during, like, the long shot press tour, speaking of Charlie's Africa, right, <laughs> um, where he would always wear something nice at their press things alongside her, right, instead of what actors would generally do, where it's like, I'm just going to wear a T-shirt and the actress can wear this um, designer dress. Yes. Right, yes. right, right. Yes. Like, he mm-hmm. always made a point to look good because he's like, I'm doing exactly what, Charlize is doing. The Ed Sheeran Beyonce conundrum. I remember it well. 2018. <laughs> yes. Who gets Ugh. to be perfect? Only one. Only one can be perfect. <laughs> He's coming, by the way. He dropped a new single, and the Ed Sheerasance is oh, upon yeah. us. Woof. I mean, I mean, not that I hate him or anything, but my God, is he oh, yeah. loom large. <laughs> like, people should not be that big. It was too fast. Yeah. Y'all are going to hate when I start standing Ed Sheeran on the show because I do like Kev. Anyway, all, when we're I'm back. A, no, no, no. I'm with you, Ira. I'm with you. Thank it you. Too fast, Lewis. He was homeless, Lewis. He was uh, homeless. The, the two members, the three members of the Black Ed Sheeran fan club, the, the president is Jamie Foxx. Exactly. The real A-team. We're the A-team. Yes. When we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Aida, you okay. got to run. So. I done, yeah. I done your clue. I have to, have to leave soon, eh? In it. So <laughs> let me get this Keep It off. Then my Keep It is an addendum to what we were just talking about because we didn't have time to talk about it. But I'm going to say it right now. Justin Timberlake must enjoy looking stupid. That must be his <laughs> new pastime that he's on this week. Because underneath that Jonah Hill post that we were just talking about, he commented, Jonah Hill is my spirit animal. Oof. Girl, you just got done apologizing for something 10 minutes ago. Now you got to go apologize to the Native American community because I'm just done. I'm done with you. I'm done with the the lack of awareness and the lack of sensitivity. And we already thought that the whole apology was bullshit. The whole apology tour was bullshit. And now I'm just like, Justin, you're you're not not all there. You're not all there. You need to be sat down. I need to sit you down and have a conversation. This is (laughs) not okay. Have they been in a movie together? Because I'm trying to think of like what his connection with like, stay out of Jonah Hill's business. Like Jonah Hill is not thinking about you, Justin Timberlake. Mm -hmm. And also it's very funny to me when celebrities still use like the spirit animal thing, just because I specifically remember Rihanna a few years ago using the phrase spirit animal and a fan commented on Instagram that we shouldn't use that phrase and mm-hmm. she actually responded thank you for letting me know that I'll never use it again that's all it is <laughs> oh. like if Rihanna's doing that 
Come on. That's all it is. And like, I, I, I had to recently learn this too. Like Lizzo had talked about it as well when she was talking about the Rihanna situation, that this is a word that is sensitive to the First Nations people and we don't need to be using it. We don't understand their culture and we already are disrespecting their land that we are just trouncing all over. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that means that um, 25% of BuzzFeed articles will have to vanish from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it a cool 99% of them. And that's probably true. Apparently, Jonah Hill was up for the role of Sean Parker in The Social Network, and he, David Fincher turned it down, and obviously it went to Justin Timberlake. Mm. So I don't know what kind oh. of connection relationship they have because of that. But Maybe he should be like, Jonah Hill, you are my understudy. I love you. It should have been <laughs> under the comment. We need to get David Fincher on Keep It for many reasons, but I do want to ask him if he regrets that choice. Mm. That is interesting. I mean, I think people do love Justin Timberlake in that movie, so the answer is probably not. But I have, I have questions about his relationship with Madonna. That's the yeah. one time he tricks us into thinking he can act right but if you but if you watch that and start to like justin timberlake as an actor please turn on alpha dog right after and it will right cure you of you'll that. morph right into a hey guru <laughs> if you know what i'm saying <laughs> okay boys or black snake moan <laughs> yeah, but, all right bye Aida. godspeed make sure that you you keep a high level of hatred in your keepers for me since i won't be able to be here but that is exactly guys. what's going to occur absolutely love absolutely happy women's history month i guess <laughs> <laughs> we did it weird all right, uh, Ira, what's your keep it? My keep it this week is to Bachelor Nation. Which needs to be kicked out of the UN, I'll say. <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about the Bachelor franchise as much as we've been talking about the Globes mm-hmm. this year. With like Kanye dormant, I feel like a new thing had to rise up for us to constantly be talking about. But as sort of spillover from, you know, Chris Harrison defending this white contestant on the current season of The Bachelor who had photos of herself, like, on a plantation. He was making excuses for her in a conversation with Rachel Lindsay, the first black bachelorette, uh, and she sort of took him to task for that. Rachel Lindsay has a podcast with um, Van Lathan, and um, Van had to take to Instagram and sort of tell people that Rachel deactivated her Instagram account because racist white Bachelor fans have just been like flooding her inbox um, and sending her vitriol because she dared to point out racism in the franchise. If this is the first time you've noticed something somewhat racist on The Bachelor, let's get introspective. Let's (laughs) look at our lives. Uh, You may have noticed it was whiter than the history of Wheat Thins commercials, uh, this show. So maybe get on her level. Right. And it's like, she's already the person that they trotted out to talk about race issues uh, because they had only had her up until Tasha, And now they have Matt James. So they, they've got a trio to come out and talk about race now. But it's like these fans love her and think that she's great until she reminds them that they're white. <laughs> And then they get angry. Which, to be fair, is rude. There's just sometimes I don't want to hear that about myself. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's it's just like so vile. And the Bachelor Nation Instagram did this really shitty statement about how like racism has no place in like Bachelor Nation, etc. Like a full like almost week after she was bullied off Instagram anyway. So like I don't believe that they mean it at all. And they certainly didn't post anything to the official Instagrams um, or have any sort of statement about it on the show, right? And then the Women Tell All was on Monday night, and they made sure 
to put um, previously recorded on February 4th up there because Chris Harrison was hosting, mm. but we know that he has stepped away and won't be hosting the um, After the Rose special. Um, but they wanted to let you know we did not just ignore all of this and record it this week. He was also on Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, and he laid waste to his competition from what I saw. So in a way... Um, it was a good week for Chris Harrison, I guess. Also, I'm watching Celebrity Wheel of Fortune if you want to know something about me. <laughs> also, the person who's replacing him for After the Rose is Emmanuel Acho, and um, this is a black man. And while that is helpful, it is just sort of continuing the Bachelor franchise's sort of band-aid of every time they have to deal with something racist or people calling out the show for being too white, they just stick one black person out there and it's like, hey, look over here, you know? And that doesn't actually solve the problems. And then you just have like now black people in your franchise who um, are pushed out in the front to be the face of the franchise while the fans are continuing to attack them and be awful. Also, you said, look over here. And now I'm thinking about how good a job Jada Essence Hall would do as the host of The Bachelor. I would Absolutely. like to see it. <laughs> I want to see the hosting skills on Jada. <laughs> Well, that was a very fair keep it, Ira. I have to say I'm on your team on that one. Imagine if you weren't. My keep it this week <laughs> is to... Um, I'm, I'm sorry to go into a niche Twitter thing again, not just because I'm talking to Ira, who, as you know, if he touches Twitter, is electrocuted. But also... <laughs> I know half the world isn't on Twitter. I know it's boring. But it's, it, there is something about Twitter, particularly like gay Twitter, the way a conversation occurs about certain pop cultural things, it sticks in my head. It does infiltrate my real life. So if this doesn't apply to you, apologies, but you listen to Keep It, so I'm sure it does. This new trend has emerged where people post a picture of something like, for example, Britney and Justin wearing the denim outfits that one time. And the meme caption they put at the top is, you just had to be there. It happens for everything. You know, like a picture of like dated fashion or a picture of a movie people have forgotten about. Guys, can you just say something real about the fucking movie you're talking about? Please, you can't outsource thoughts. Please actually just come up with an idea. Please don't, like, I, I, I don't want to be Miranda Priestly, but don't bore me. Like, or Nina Garcia from Project Runway. That's more a Nina Garcia thing. Like, I welcome your original ideas about these very familiar pop culture images. I think we can have a good time if we just talk about honestly what we think of these and coming up with new uh, ways to talk about our perception of old pop culture. Literally just putting a fucking microwaved snarky comment that I've seen a thousand times. Sometimes memes are bad. We, we need to be more active about the <laughs> fact that memes sometimes take us nowhere. So if anything, just post the picture without the trite thing at the top. You can do this. We can have fun talking about denim award show attire together. It actually reminds me of that previous meme where like someone would remember like a old film or TV show moment that they liked, right? And just put it out there with this was a cultural reset. No, no it wasn't. You just remember it. Yeah. Right. And 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 It's my problem with media... calling things iconic. That's not necessarily a compliment <laughs> that you remember it. Yeah. Social media now has this sort of like thing where it's like the the fact that you remember something that happened once in the past qualifies as an original thought. Yeah. Right. And it's like listen, uh, the majority of Americans might not know what that is, but you know like this thing from 1998, like 25 million people saw it. So 
I'm sure some other people remember this movie. Yeah, right. The Brandy Cinderella, it was really popular. Right. Flops from like 1998 actually got more viewers than things that are successful in 2021. So a lot of people remember the thing that you're bringing up. It's also just that world of risk-free commentary and posturing like you're saying something substantive when in fact you're not saying anything at all but wanting attention for it. Oh, to go deeper into the weeds on that, that's a awful TikTok trend too. And mm-hmm. I find that like TikTok creators um, who are actually coming up with original jokes hate that too. The trend of someone having a TikTok where it's like, um, name something that like seems racist without actually being racist or something like... Um, Name, like, the craziest moment you've ever seen in, like, a movie or something, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, it invites other users to stitch with you or or sort of duet with you um, and then use your original video. So you pop up all the time Mm -hmm. um, in other people's videos, but you have actually haven't done anything. You've just asked a prompt. Right. Oh, and, of course, there's a lot of that on Twitter, too, and then people quote tweet, and then it's, like, oh, you're a viral star because you're, like, Name a Halloween costume by Heidi Klum you can't get enough of or whatever. And then people just paste a picture. That, that was my meme. That was my attempt at a meme. So we'll see if I, <laughs> I slay the internet. So anyway, Twitter, I follow the people who are really great. Just go through the people I follow. You'll like them. Everybody else I'm on the fence about. <laughs> All right. That's our show. Thank you to Dominique Fishback for joining us and Aida for joining us as well. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Remember she, her? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narm Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com.